Now, um, I'm going to speak um, about, I'm going to continue our series called On Be Still. Um, last week in our Be Still, Still, Be Still, Be Still, that's a whole different talk. Be Still. Last week in our Be Still series, Paul looked at the story of Elijah, who was fleeing to the top of Mount Horeb. You can read this in 1 Kings 19. Elijah was pretty much at his wits end. He was tired, scared, depressed, ready to die um, and in desperate need of an encounter with God. And in his grace and mercy, God met with Elijah on the mountain. And in this still, small voice, he spoke to him and comforted him and restored him. And some of us, for some of us, that sounds exactly what we might need right now in this season. You know, maybe we have been busy or stressed or anxious or just maybe really, really distracted. Lockdown has been tough on our emotional health. It sometimes feels like Groundhog Day, doesn't it? And we are desperate for something to happen, something different. And we are in need of an encounter with God. We are in need. We need to hear that still, small voice. And so today we're looking at two very simple practices which can help us build that into our life. Practices that help us stay in a place of freedom. Two habits that believers have been doing for centuries that lead to a deep connection with God. And they are silence and solitude. Now, in recent years, one of the most loved and quoted writers on spiritual formation was a guy called Dallas Willard. And there's another pastor and also a writer, John Ortberg, who tells a story about a conversation he had with this kind of bit of a guru, Dallas Willard, at one time. He called him up to ask for advice. Ortberg was um, working at a big church. He was doing well as a pastor and an author. But he felt like he was getting too busy and he was in danger of getting overwhelmed by the demands of his on his time and um, getting sucked into the church culture he was working in. And so he calls up Dallas Willard, who is a bit of a mentor to him, and he says, hey, Dallas, I've got a question for you. What do I need to do to become the me I want to be? I mean, that's a pretty big question anyway, isn't it? What do I need to do? to become the me I want to be. And apparently there was a long silence at the other end of the line, which wasn't unusual for Dallas Willard. It was often that you'd call him and you'd get a long silence. And then the reply came and he said this, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So Ortberg scribbles that down, writes it down in his head, but ruthlessly eliminate her from my life. Okay, okay, great, thank you. What else? What else do I need to do? And again, there was a long silence. And eventually Dallas Willard replied, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And I love that story and I love that turn of phrase. And of course, John Mark Comer then took that phrase and made it the title for his book, which I mentioned recently. It's a really straightforward, easy to read, practical book, and I highly recommend it. And today we're going to just use some material from one of the chapters, and that's the one on silence and solitude. And for our example, in these practices of silence and solitude, we're looking no further than Jesus himself. Jesus is our role model in this. You might think, how is a first century Mediterranean agricultural lifestyle even relevant to my life in 2021? We're so far away from that. He didn't have the culture that we have. He didn't have the technology we have. What can we learn from him? But actually, Jesus was busy and he was somewhat pressurised, as we'll read. And he built some great habits into his life, 
which are totally relevant today and which we can learn from. And we're going to dip into three or four different passages from the Gospels as we look at this next section of the talk, which I've called Jesus and the Quiet Place. And it starts at Jesus's baptism in Matthew chapter three. Um, you possibly know this story, but if you don't, let me just read a couple of verses. Jesus is baptized and as he comes out of the water, a voice from heaven is heard and it declares, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It's a real high point. It's a moment of affirmation. It's a moment of public commissioning. If you like, this is the launch pad for Jesus' whole public ministry. Which is why it's so fascinating that the very next verse in Matthew, which is in Matthew chapter 4, because that's the end of chapter 3. And then because they didn't have, when Matthew wrote this, he didn't have chapters. We've added them later so we can navigate the thing. But in the very next line, we read Matthew 4, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) There's an understatement. And the tempter came to him. Now, I've just mentioned about Lent and Lent is a time when we as Christians sort of try and um, replicate a little bit of what Jesus was about. You know, I'm not saying that we have to fast for 40 days completely. Well, I'm not going to do that anyway. But um, we often, you know, it's it's something we think about um, and we think about this story of Jesus fasting in the wilderness. And I don't know what you think about when you think about the wilderness. Sometimes it's translated as the desert. You might think of sand or heat. But actually, the Greek word that's used for wilderness there is, is a word called eremos. And the Greek word for eremos has a real range of meanings, right? It's tra- it could be translated as desert or deserted place or desolate place or solitary place or lonely place or quiet place or wilderness. And I really like this idea that Jesus went to a quiet place. And I think that's a really helpful thought for us anyway in this time, because there are plenty of times where the Gospels talk about Jesus retreating to this place, Eremos. That's the word it uses in the original Greek, to quiet places. This is the first example that we read, though, and it's no mistake that it comes straight after his very public baptism launch event. I mean, if this was today uh, in our world, you might think that Jesus would have had his management team arrange a press conference for straight after the baptism and then a string of appearances to capitalise on the publicity. That's the kind of world we live in, but nothing of the sort. Instead, Jesus went straight to the quiet place, into the desert, into the wilderness, the Elamos, for the best part of seven weeks, on his own and without food. And if you've read the Bible, you know that it wasn't unusual for Jesus to be in conflict with the devil. But I wonder why it was that he waited until the end of a 40 day fast to take the devil on. I've always thought that this would be really difficult, that Jesus would have been really hungry and at his lowest point. I've sometimes thought, oh, that's so typical of the devil to attack us when we're at our most weak and our most vulnerable. Because in my mind, the wilderness feels like a place of weakness. But on reflection, I wonder if I've been thinking wrong about this most of my life. Because actually, as John Mark Comer says, the wilderness isn't a place of weakness. It's a place of strength. The Spirit led Jesus into the desert because after a month and a half of praying, fasting and just being with God, Jesus was his strongest point. He was close to God. He was strong enough to take on the devil and walk away unscathed. 
That extended time alone with God is what gave him the resources he needed to face the challenges that were inevitably coming at the start of his world-changing, kingdom-building ministry. And so for Jesus, the quiet place wasn't just a one-off. Over and over in the Gospels, we read that Jesus keeps coming back to the Eremos, coming back to the quiet place, coming back to be with his father. Let's have a look at Mark chapter one. It's basically a long chapter about Jesus's first day in ministry. It was a very full day. He was up early. He was teaching in the synagogue and then healing Peter's mother-in-law over lunch and then out late again in the evening, healing the sick and demonized who'd come from miles around. If that was me, a long ministry day, I'd at least plan a lion for the next day and maybe a relaxing brunch. But in verse 35, we read this, that very early in the morning while it was still dark, this is the next day, Jesus got up, left the house and went to a solitary place where he prayed. And yes, solitary place, the same word is used, Eremos, a deserted place, a quiet place. And so let's just recap, having been on retreat for 40 days and having come back for one day of ministry, Jesus is off again to his quiet place. This was not a one-off for Jesus. This was a pattern. This was a habit, a part of his ongoing rhythm of life. Let's look at what happens next. The story goes on in verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. Maybe a modern day equivalent of this would be, hey, Jesus, you're the talk of the town. You had this incredible day yesterday. Everyone wants a piece of you. There's a real buzz. You're trending on Twitter. You know, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus knew why he come. He knew who he was. He didn't want to get distracted into all that hype and the aftermath of all that. He just wanted to go somewhere else, out of town, to carry on his ministry. And so in the quiet place, Jesus was able to stay grounded. He heard the voice of his father. He stayed on top of his priorities. He knew why he'd come. He stayed focused on his mission. And I want you to notice that Jesus emerged from the wilderness after that 40 days with a complete sense of clarity about his identity and calling. He was so centered, having spent that time alone with God, he was in touch with God and he was really clear about what he should say yes to and what he should say no to, both to the devil when he was tempting him and to the disciples when they were just getting excited. You see, spending time in the quiet place is a high priority for Jesus. And it's also a high priority that he taught his followers, his disciples. Let's jump ahead to Mark chapter six. Okay, and I'm going to read you verses 30 and 31. So the apostles gathered around Jesus. And they said, this is by the way, they've just, by the way, they've just come back from the first sort of being sent out to do ministry. So it's been a busy, a busy season. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they did not have a chance, even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So not only was Jesus doing this himself, he was leading his disciples as well. The disciples were dead tired after several weeks of ministry. It says they were so busy they didn't have a chance to eat. I wonder if it feels like that for us sometimes. Has anyone had a day when they're just so busy that it doesn't feel like you've got time to just eat or do anything quiet? I know all you parents are thinking, yes, only every single day. <laughs> and that was before lockdown and homeschooling. Anyway, Jesus invites his disciples to come away to the quiet place. He's not inviting them to the pub or a sports game or a movie. Not that we could do those things anyway at the minute, although maybe we can do virtually. There are plenty of ways to kill time and get distracted 
if we want to. I talked about that a few weeks ago. Jesus says, no, what you really need is time alone with me, away from the people and away from the noise. And so continuing the story in verse 32, it says they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And another account says they basically went over uh, the Lake of Galilee to the other side. Sounds perfect, right? Quality time with Jesus, chilling by the water. But it didn't turn out that way because as the story continues, the many who saw them, many saw them leaving, recognised them and literally ran on foot from all the town. So you could run around the lake. I mean, it's a feral trek. But you could run around the lake and they did and they got there ahead of them. They saw where they were going in the boat. And it says in verse 34 that when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. And by this time it was late in the day. So hopefully we can take comfort from the fact that even Jesus, even Jesus had to change his plans sometimes. They were hoping for time off, but things just kind of happened. I'm sure that many of us can relate to that. You know, we'll plan a relaxing night off watching the telly or chilling out with our family. And then we get called into work, some sort of crisis or emergency. Or our children have um, uh, something that just, some, some, something goes off. Maybe it's a health issue or some other kind of emergency and we just they just need us. Or our spouse or our housemate or our friend is having a bit of a crisis and just needs to talk. And sometimes the kindest thing to do is to change our plans and spend time with people in need. And that's, in this case, what happened with Jesus. So he wasn't so boundaried up that he couldn't stop and have compassion and change his plans. But look what happens next, because then Jesus teaches the crowd. And after a day's teaching, and there's a whole other story there about the feeding of the 5,000, this incredible multiplication miracle. But we're not going into that now. We'll jump to verse 45, um, because after all that's done and uh, the crowd uh, sent home, um, or they get to the end of the day, it says immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. And while he while he dismissed the crowd and then after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. And then there's a whole nother story about him walking across the water. But I've read this story so many times in my life. The feeding of the 5000, the walking on the water. And I focused on those amazing supernatural bits. Those They are miraculous. The multiplication of food, the, the, the walking out across the lake is fantastic. And I probably thought to myself all my life, Jesus has already got these superpowers. So it's no surprise that he's also super spiritual. This is the guy who can feed 5,000 people, who can walk across the water and can also stay up all night praying. Now, I've never managed to stay up all night praying. I've got up in the night to pray sometimes, but I don't think I could ever do that. Well, maybe I could, but I've never tried. I'm not sure that I could ever aspire to that. Jesus is some, in my mind, Jesus is some superhero kind of thing. But if you look at this a different way, if you look at this story from a different perspective, it seems to be saying that the only time Jesus could get to be quiet, to be alone, to reset and be with his father was to send the disciples and stay up all night. He was so busy all day long that all he could think to do was stay up on the mountain on his own. Because for Jesus, time alone with God was even more important than sleep. Even more important than sleep. Now, those are just some examples from Matthew and Mark. The quiet place is also mentioned nine times in Luke's account and a few in John's too. Um, here's just one example from Luke chapter five. Uh, it says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him 
and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Lonely places. Guess what that word is? Yes, it's Eremos again. As this verse shows, it seems that the busier Jesus got, the more he withdrew to quiet places to pray. It's like a graph. You go along one way, Jesus gets busy, and up the side, Jesus retreats. And the things go, in, the things go hand in hand. And often for us, if we're honest, we probably do the opposite, don't we? Life is hectic, people are demanding, time gets pressurised. And often it's the quiet place that's the first thing to go when our life gets like that. Here's a challenging truth from John Mark Comer. He says this, in seasons of busyness, we need more time in the quiet place, not less. I'm going to say that again. In seasons of busyness, we need more time in the quiet place, not less. Now, before I go on, I want you to watch this video. Um, Jenny uh, sent Joe an email about this, um, just saying how she'd been putting into practice some of the things that Paul had been teaching over the last few weeks, and it had really made a significant change in life. And Joe was so blown away, she asked Jenny to record it so that you could all hear. So here's Jenny's story about experimenting and about getting into the quiet place. Recently, I've been um, inspired and challenged um, by the talks I've been listening to from Paul, which have been amazing. And also I'm reading a book on the ruthless elimination of hurry. And I've suddenly realized that actually I don't spend time being still. I don't, I'm always on the go. And uh, I realized that I just needed to take some of the advice that um, Paul's been giving and um, give it a go. If I make all these appointments in my diary for friends and various other things, really an appointment with God would be quite a good time as a good thing as well. So I started to um, just spend uh, a time going quietly um, on my own and sitting still um, whether it's for 10 minutes, an hour, and just spending time with God, just loving him and uh, worshipping him and listening to him. And it, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing time and quite unexpected, really, um, the things that have happened. And God, in his graciousness, I mean, he's so amazing. So I was uh, just listening quietly. I had no agenda other than to just be quiet with God. And uh, I suddenly got the most vivid um, picture of um, where my laptop charger was, which I'd lost and I had not asked God about it at all. Um, but it was, I couldn't find it. And uh, he just showed me very, very clearly. And I was so excited um, because I hadn't asked him. And I just believe that, that he was trying to encourage me that um, that he enjoyed spending time with me and me taking the time out to listen to him. I've been doing this each day. As I say, I haven't timed myself. I just take time out to sit quietly and just love on him, worship him. Um, sometimes one easy thing that I find to do um, to focus is to um, praise him through the alphabet. So, um, you know, starting with A, amazing. You're, Jesus, you're amazing. You're beautiful. 
um, compassionate and so on, all through the um, alphabet, finding as many things as I can to worship him. And it just helps me focus before I really just dial down and um, yeah, listen to him. But for years and years, I have prayed for more patience. And I noticed even after the first time spending with the Lord, um, I just felt different. I have actually become more patient and it's I realized that actually I had all the patience that I needed in the first place because it's a fruit of the spirit. But I hadn't taken the time because I was always in a rush, always busy. I hadn't taken the time to actually listen to God and really hear what the Holy Spirit is doing. So it has definitely improved my patience. And what I find is that if I have a trigger that I get a, like a warning so I get the chance to make a choice and that's fantastic because that makes me feel God's presence and that's never it's never happened to me before I'm not saying it's a formula but um, it's been just a byproduct for me for what I've been asking God for for years and years and have realized that um, I've had it available all the time Thank you, Jenny. Um, I love that story. Um, I love the fact that it's not, this isn't a requirement. This isn't like a list of rules that Jesus gives us. This is an invitation. And it's something that's going to be transformative. It's something that's going to change us when we spend that time. And so we've looked at how Jesus did this in his example. And I just want to um, finish over the last few minutes talking about the two dimensions that I mentioned about silence and solitude. We're going to look first at silence and in fact there are two dimensions to silence um, because when we think about silence we can think about the external silence and also the internal silence. Now external silence is pretty self-explanatory, it's the lack of noise, it's the no music in my headphones, no TV or radio on in the background, no kids crying or shouting, no chatting on my phone, just peace and quiet. And that's quite a discipline in itself isn't it? Just being quiet, practicing just being quiet. It's something I try and do for a few minutes each day. I don't manage it every day, um, but I do try because just practicing silence is a discipline in itself. It's a spiritual discipline in itself. There's a quote here from a guy in the sixth century, St. John Climacus, and it's called, uh, it says, the friend of silence draws near to God. And there's something about doing that that makes a difference and I have to admit it's a bit of a challenge for me you know I do love a bit of background noise I always have while I'm cooking or doing the housework or doing jobs or I'm out walking or even I'm driving the car I do like to listen to music or to have podcasts on there are so many great conversations if I'm in the car I like to put the radio on sometimes in the midst of a busy day that feels like the only time I can switch my brain off but what I've been realizing over the past few years is that what I'm doing is I'm often using the external noise to drown out the internal noise. And maybe if you're honest, it's the same for you. And I wonder if anybody wants to be really honest and put a note in the chat and say, what is your uh, biggest distraction? What's the thing that you would most likely do instead of going and spending some time in quiet and in silence? Um, 
you don't have to do it there's no pressure but I just thought if you're feeling honest maybe put it in as I said for me it's putting the radio on or it's listening to a podcast and I think I said last time I'm learning um, I certainly said to somebody in the last few days I am learning to uh, you know for example I'll take the dog out for a walk or I'll, I'll go for a walk myself um, I'm learning not to just automatically put my ears in and start listening to stuff I'm learning to just try and allow my brain a bit of a bit of space and time and I mean another way of doing this is, is through some kind of mindfulness it's popular at the minute <laughs> mindfulness I, I think there's some link vague link to, to Buddhism with mindfulness but actually it's what Christians have been doing for centuries and so if you're honest perhaps it's the same for you that actually the external noise is what's drowning out the internal noise and by internal noise I mean the mental chatter that seems to never shut up the running commentary in our heads that's going on about everything the replaying of recent difficult conversations or our lustful thoughts or our revenge fantasies or our dreaming about our boss getting a bad day I don't know I presume or our worries or our fears about the future sometimes I find I wake up in the morning and suddenly I'm concerned about finances or family or health or security or our dreams of the perfect life there's so much clutter in our minds that can potentially overwhelm us and it's relatively easy to quieten the external noise because you turn off the phone or you turn off the stereo or you go for a walk or even go away for a quiet retreat but switching off the internal noise is a whole different kind of challenge isn't it and real silence is when we can silence both and in order to achieve that kind of internal silence we're going to need some time and we're going to need a quiet place and we're going to be able to switch we're going to need to switch stuff off and then we're going to need to switch on to god and that takes effort it's like a muscle it'll need training and practice and this isn't me telling you what you've got to do this is an invitation from the lord i mean there are techniques we can learn and there are exercises we can practice and we'll do something very simple at the end of this talk but also this thing doesn't happen or can't really happen the silence won't really happen unless we're also thinking about the practice of solitude and solitude is when we're alone with god and with our own soul and I don't mean isolation. There's a massive difference between solitude and isolation between the two. Solitude is when we deliberately set aside time to be quiet, to feed and water our soul. It's when we engage and open up with God. But isolation feels more like an escape and it feels more dangerous. Isolation is like painting a target on our back and saying to the enemy, come and get me. You know, solitude might sound a bit somber and serious, but actually it's anything but loneliness. It's the opposite. And then here's a quote that uh, Chris, bless him. Thank you, Chris, for doing these amazing slides for me. He just jumped ahead of himself there for a minute, but we'll forgive him. He's amazing. Um, loneliness is inner emptiness, but solitude is inner fulfillment. That's a quote from Richard Foster. And for many of us, solitude is where we feel most connected to God. Let me say that again. Loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. And some of us don't like to admit it. But the truth is we spend much of our lives feeling separated from God. Some of us will come to church hoping specifically for a God hit, for some kind of God connection before we return to the secular wasteland that we live. Now, perhaps I'm exaggerating a little bit for, for impact. But if that describes something of your experience, then I have some great news for you. Because there is a solution to this problem and it's quite straightforward. The problem isn't on God's side. If we feel disconnected with God, the problem is most likely to be on our side or our distractions that are causing the disconnection, that lack of stillness. Another author and writer called Henri Nouwen said it very bluntly and yet very eloquently. 
when he said this, without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We don't take the spiritual life seriously if we don't set aside time to be with God and listen to him. There's no messing about with this quote, is there? He says it like it is. If we don't put aside time to be with God, then the relationship that we have with him will wither and die. Married people know this, and so do best friends, and especially parents. If you love someone, you spend time with them. Love is spelt T-I-M-E. Proper time. Relationships just don't flourish without quality time. And if we love Jesus and we want a living, thriving, connected relationship with him, where we experience his peace and presence throughout the day, then it's on us to make the time to be alone with him. Full stop. And relational time is often wildly inefficient. You know, you can spend all day hanging out with someone, talking about nothing real significant, but then you have a 10-minute meaningful conversation or even just a passing comment that stays with you and kind of changes everything. Relational time is worth spending. Now, last uh, time I spoke, two or three weeks ago, I spoke about distraction, what happens when we get distracted and the cycle of distraction which leads to disillusionment as it gets the cycle of attention that leads to adoration. And if you didn't hear that talk, you can go back on the website or on YouTube and, and catch it from two or three weeks ago. And in a similar way, at the end of this chapter that I've been covering this material from in John Mark Homer's book, he lists the main consequences of not practicing the habit of silence and solitude. So here's a list of the consequences that what will happen to us when we don't do this. And the first thing is that we feel distant from God and we end up living off someone else's spirituality. We listen to a podcast or we listen to somebody else's take on the Bible rather than reading it for ourselves or just stopping and hearing God for ourselves. We feel distant from ourselves. We lose sight of our own identity. We lose sight of our own calling and we get easily sucked into the urgent rather than the important. We feel a constant undercurrent of anxiety, a sense that we're just always behind, always playing catch up, never quite get that getting there. And then we get exhausted. We get through our days, but we prop ourselves up with stimulants or constantly just feel tired. Have you ever woken up and thought, oh gosh, I can't wait till I go to bed again. And then we turn to our escape habits or our comfort patterns. You know, we lack the energy to do what's actually life-giving, the, the prayer or the solitude that actually will make a difference. And instead we go for the cheap fix. You know, maybe it's another glass of wine or another TV show online or social media feeds, or even we turn to porn or something else like that. And when we do that, we become easy prey for the devil, for the tempter. Just furthering our sense of distance from God and our souls and getting more and more isolated. And that kicks into our emotional health, which starts to weaken. We're living from the surface of our lives and not the core. We're reacting quickly. We're triggered by the smallest things like a throwaway line from the boss or a sarcastic comment from a colleague or a suggestion from our spouse or our kids or our housemate. It doesn't take much and we lose our temper and we shout at our kids and we get defensive and we sulk and we feel angry or sad or often both. Now, does anybody else recognise those behaviours or is it just me? Truth is, these are the signs and symptoms of a life spent without silence and solitude. And maybe that feels a bit extreme. But if there's anything in there that you recognise, then maybe it's just worth thinking about this. Because on the flip side, there's a wonderful alternative. And that is the consequences of practising silence and solitude. When we deliberately take time 
to be with God, we a number of things happen. We find our quiet places. Maybe it's a local park or our favourite chair at home. Maybe it's our morning routine that starts before the family wakes up and we just come away. Come away and be with God. And then we take our time. Maybe it's not the full hour. Maybe we're just there long enough to decompress from all the stress and busyness. Sometimes all we need is just a few minutes. Other times an hour isn't enough. And other times we just gratefully take whatever time we can get. And we slow down and we breathe and we come back to the present. And we start to feel. And at first we feel the whole range of emotions. Not just the good ones, joy and gratitude and celebration. But the sadness and the doubts and the anger and the anxiety. And usually I feel all the bad ones first. That's just how it is. All the emotions start. As soon as I stop, all the emotions start to come out. I've got used to it now. And so we start to face the good and the bad and the ugly in our own hearts. We process our fears and our sadness, our hope and our desire for God and our lack of desire for God and our sense of his presence and our sense of his absence and the lies we're believing and the truth that we know and our motivations and our addictions and our coping mechanisms. And it all comes out and it's all painful and it's all real. But instead of leaking out all over the people that we love the most, it's exposed in the safety of our father's loving care and then in our ears we sense his voice cut through the noise of all the other voices and in the silence we hear God speak his love over us and speak our identities and our callings into being and we get his perspective on life and where we fit in and then we come to a place of freedom where our failures slowly lose their power over us as do our successes and as we're centered and grounded we move away from the impacts of other people's disapproval or approval and we're free just to be us the mixed bag we are children with our father in process and loved i hope that's helpful for you and i really recommend reading john mark comer's book it's got some great stuff in it and not just about silence and solitude one last quote he says this in silence and solitude our souls finally come home that's what jesus meant by abide it's the verb of abode or home, the place of rest, home to what Thomas Kelly called the unhurried centre of peace and power. <coughs> Excuse me. Maybe this is a habit that you already practice and you're used to having a quiet time regularly. Maybe this is something that you do normally and you're just happy to sit and be quiet. Well, that's wonderful. I'm getting better at this. I don't do it every single day. I do it more often than not these days. But I want to issue a challenge, a friendly, gentle challenge to all of us, a silence and solitude challenge, especially if it's not a normal practice for you. <coughs> Excuse me. As I said, this is an invitation. There is no pressure. It doesn't have to be long, but it's great if it's regular. I wonder if each of us can take a minimum of just five minutes each day just to sit and be quiet. There's no particular agenda for this time. It's not like you've got to pray. It's not like you've got to read the Bible. It's just a case of sitting in silence, finding a place where we can tune out the external noise and then tune out the internal noise. Now, there are tons of ways to do this. There are techniques you can use. Here's just a couple of simple tips. You know, if this is something we're not used to, then be good to yourself and just do it for it. It takes a bit of practice, only needs a few minutes and be kind to yourself. Don't 
put massive expectations on yourself. It's a really good idea to have a notebook um, to write things down in because quite often what happens is when we just try and stop thinking, thoughts pop in, oh, I've got to do this or oh, I've got to do that. And then we think, oh, I must remember. And so it's a really good idea just to have something to write down. So you can turn that, write that down in your notebook, carry on. Another way to do this is just to have a simple word or a phrase that we repeat. I mean, even just repeating the name of Jesus is a really good thing to do. And often just focusing on one word. Um, Paul mentioned spirit, uh, the prayer of examine last week. That's really worth looking at. On Vineyard Church's website, they have a whole bunch of spiritual exercises. If you've got a bit more time and you want to be led by somebody. But honestly, just, just sit and be. Don't try too hard. Just become available. And another way that we can do is we can just use some words. Um, and I'm just going to try this very simple exercise now. And then I'm going to introduce our last song, our ministry song, which David um, has recorded. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to suggest that we all do this. Just find a, a quiet place, a comfortable place. Um, and I'm going to use the words from Psalm 46, the words, be still and know that I am God. I think Paul might have done this recently, but it's a really simple thing to do. And it's really straightforward. And what we're going to do is just be quiet. Okay. And just by way of using these words as a focus for us so that we find ourselves into God's presence, just say gently, uh, quietly, under your breath or whatever with me, um, these words, be still and know that I am God. Okay. And then we'll have a pause and then we'll say it again. And then what's going to happen is I'm going to cut off the words at the end. I'm going to gradually make the phrase shorter until we just get right down to be still. And then we're just going to sit quietly for a moment. So, hopefully you're sitting in a relaxed way and uh, why don't you just say these words with me gently under your breath. Be still and know that I am God. And let's say them one more time. Be still and know that I am God. And this time we're going to say, be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I am. And now we're just going to say the first four words. Be still and know. One more time. Be still. And now. And then we're just going to say the words be still. Together. Be still. And in the quiet, I mean, here I can sense the presence of the Holy Spirit just settling on me and on us here. And I reckon it's the same for many of you. And so in the quietness, just open your heart and see if there's anything God wants to say or do to you. And if not, just enjoy his presence. If you don't hear anything particular, don't worry.
Thank you, Father, for your presence with us. Thank you, Jesus, for your friendship. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for your comfort and your peace. And whatever is going on right now, we welcome you into this place. Now, guys, if you're sitting and you're engaging with the Spirit, I'd love you to stay in that place. And David is going to sing. And it's a song that's sung from God's perspective. It's called Come Away. It's perfect for this time. So just allow David's song to, uh, and the words of that, and the Holy Spirit just to wash over you. As we just rest in God's presence now. 